Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Hey Otterites, welcome to episode 105. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. So we are eastbound and down, loaded up and trucking this episode. Oh yeah, all right. As, as Francis uh, mentioned uh, in our in our uh, exit segment last episode, this is one that I kind of kicked out to the fellas because I wanted to talk about this sort of unique little spot in the history of, of movies in the U.S. of these car-centric, car-chase-centric films, primarily set in the South, uh, and turns out kind of primarily starring Burt Reynolds. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when you start talking car chases, you got to get a little broader than that anyway. Well, you know why it's set in the South? There's too much traffic up North. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there was just this movement of how do you still be a rebel in the South in the 1970s? Well, you drive your car really fast. Um, so, but first, I guess we ought to start again with, with what's pretty much considered the number one car chase ever put on film. Uh, that, that I think Francis has said this, that it's the blueprint. It's the one that uh-huh. tells directors and filmmakers car chases will work on that's film. Right. And, and, they're, that's, and they're also damn cheap. All think you know with just a little bit of planning. Well, that depends because you can go through a lot of cars. Yeah, if if it's not done well. Yeah, but you know, again, you can kind of reuse a different camera angle for the same. You, <laughs> you know, and kind of right. it's it's a new way of bringing excitement and something that people get because yeah. everybody's. And it's not accidental that you know the movie you're talking about came out in '68. Yeah, that's the beginning of driving for pleasure. You might make muscle car muscle era car. You know, too. There, there's yeah. something to be said because now families have more than one car. Yeah. Starting around that they're time, starting they're to. starting to. So yes. that's when you realize that's because the the wives, the mothers, are starting to go into the the workforce. That's right. More full time. That's right. Which goes back to contraception being more widely available. That's right. There's because less, they're not always having kids. The birth rate, yeah, you know, slows down. Birth rate drops, and now. But so that, that film, I didn't really want to talk about contraception, but okay. Well, I'm it just works. saying, you know, it, it's, culturally, it's context. It's, a, it's context, brother. It's context. It's context. Right. But that film is Bullet. Uh, right. A great, great detective film. Very stylish. Uh, starring the king of cool, Steve McQueen. Right. We're going to do an episode on Steve McQueen. It might be his greatest role, and that's saying a lot because he's got a whole lot of oh, them. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, Virgil Hiltz in The Great Escape yeah. is also kind of... The Great Escape is a hard one to top. Yeah. 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 And, and, and uh, The Magnificent Seven is yeah. Vin. Uh, but yeah, Bullet, he is center stage, um, sharing the screen with a 68 Mustang fastback mm-hmm. that's and right. a... Dodge I thought you were talking about Jacqueline Bissett there for a minute. <laughs> well, just as an aside, yes, she is stunning in yes. that film. Yes, uh, Again, that's a very early part in her career, and wow, is she amazing. Um, and does a terrific job in, in a really, what well, I mean, it's kind of a thankless part. Mm-hmm. Uh, easy, Easily forgettable part, unfortunately, but she does a tremendous job uh, really pushing that bullet character. Uh, well, what are you really all about? You know, but again, we want to talk about the car chases. Yeah, uh, and well, you kind of have to start with Bullet because if you if you were to hold somebody down saying what's the greatest car chase ever filmed, most people will automatically if they think about it, if they know anything about movies, 
They're going to say bullet. bullet. I don't know if most people are going to do that. I well, think most people are going to go smoking in the bandit. Well, there's truth well, to that, too. I think it depends, depends on, on your age. age. I will say the same thing because... I mean, they're barely 10 years apart. And this far away from that time... You know, I'm just thinking yeah. more people still, are going to go. A, a younger person's going to say Fast, Fast and, and Furious. Furious because there's yes. been so many of those. Yes. Uh, which kind of institutionalized the entire concept, which is, in many respects, that wasn't done much because the bullet is not a car chase movie. It's just got a hell of a car chase as part of the movie. Yeah. Whereas Smoking the Bandit, it's entirely a car It's entirely chase. a chase. <laughs> it's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, that's, and that was kind of a turning up the volume on that concept, which I think is one of the reasons why it stands kind of as the, the flag planted in the sand yeah. when it comes to yeah. this concept. And it's not that Bullet even has the first car chase as a central part of it, because as we talked about, you know, for instance, it's a mad, 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 mad world, is literally... Yeah, it's a lot of cars yeah. going to the same place. Now, in a way, that's a car chase slash, slash race. Right. And, and we did point out in the show prep, there's a difference between racing movies and car chase movies. Right. Uh, sometimes it, a like it's a mad, 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 mad world. It's kind of both. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's still it's all about being in the cars, going somewhere really fast. Well, I mean, James Bond and Goldfinger. You know, it's one of the classics when he's in the Aston Martin for the first time, and he's letting loose. You know, the, pushing the ejector seat button. I'm sorry, that's one of the best moments <laughs> in the whole damn thing. Boom, boom. You know, I've often threatened my wife saying, "You watch out, I have an ejector seat button." She just rolls her eyes, of course. Uh, she she says, does it a lot. As, oh, absolutely, she does. Yeah. Yeah. She says, "Oh, you yeah, probably but, deserve it." I probably deserve it. That's exactly. <laughs> well, I was going to say I was going to ask if it was a medical condition, <laughs> <laughs> but I yeah, it was her fault. Yeah, yeah we've we've yeah. talked about this before. There's this moment in film. They're moving away from the epics. They're moving away from fantasy films, and you get this uh, cinema verite, this new cinema uh, in the late '60s, early '70s that's supposed to be gritty and realistic. Bullet's part of that. It's grounded in a world we know, if, if nothing that's else. Right. Yes, that's that's really the point. Yeah, and they realized modern, you can, not yeah, historical. You can, and they realized not only is this popular and people desire it, it's also cheaper because you don't have the costumes, you don't have a lot. You know, there's a whole lot of things you don't have to recreate an ancient world. You can make this outside your door. In right. fact, people want that. Well, and I think that's a reaction to what was going on in the mm-hmm. '60s and, and with yep. uh, with the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantasy no longer. Uh, suffice because the reality was so grim that the fantasy paled anymore. Yes. Yeah, when we talked about that in television, the whole rural purge, all of a sudden, right. Gomer Pyle and uh, the Beverly Hillbillies and stuff, that's gone. We don't want yeah. that anymore. Right. We want Maud. We want all in the family. Well, and yeah, it was a way to, to, I guess, those these kind of movies, those kind of TV shows, it's a way to, to help connect better to the modern world. Mm-hmm. They didn't necessarily make anything better. They weren't necessarily even more entertaining. But it's just, I think, an example, of, an outgrowth of fantasy doesn't work for us in in, in the face of, of such things. In the face of race riots and assassinations. Yes. We don't want to hear about Cleopatra anymore. Let's get us grounded. So, right, exactly. And that's why Bullet, the French Connection, again, also... I'm glad you mentioned that. A tremendous that's, that's car a, chase scene. That's a huge it's, moment for car chases. Yeah, and French and Connection, French Connection is, is really... The, uh, 
It's that the gritty movie of the seventies. Yeah, and you could make it if to. for those who might object to Bullet being number one, they're probably doing so because they want the French Connection to be number, to be number one. one. It yeah. was that big. And hey, Gene Hackman, we love Gene Hackman. He's one of the greatest actors that ever was. I mean, Lex Luthor, you know, greatest criminal mind of our time. Come on, <laughs> he's he's fantastic and yeah. just about anything. So those are your starting points. Mm-hmm. What really attracted me though to this subject and this idea though. It is really more these one set in the modern South because this is an area, and we've talked about this before with Japan, to a degree this is a defeated area searching for an identity. So you have... Oh, do tell. Gator, White Lightning, um, Eat My Dust... Mm-hmm. And Grand Theft Auto with Ron Howard, his his first steps into uh, not just adult acting, but also directing, when he would eventually become, you know, this prolific American director. And Burt Reynolds called these films, especially White Lightning, the beginning of a whole series of films made in the South, about the South, and for the South. And they didn't really even care if he's got widespread distribution, because they would be so attractive in cities in the South, you can make back your costs, he said, in just Memphis alone. But when you, you think about Memphis and Atlanta and, and, and Florida New Orleans, and, and New Orleans, New Orleans you really could make these films profitable with just this sort of narrow focus on, you know, where is the South headed? How, how, how do you be a, a rebel without really being a rebel anymore. Right. Well, you know, that's that's an interesting... Because uh, we used that phrase earlier about being a rebel, uh, and you, you used it right after I was thinking to myself uh, about how I look at some of these. And a lot of these are ways to say, you know, to, to give the middle finger to the man. Yeah, it's and in a unique way. Yes, yeah, because it's they're in a uniquely American way for sure. Yeah, it is, yeah, in a uniquely Southern way. And yes, because it's it's not a countercultural way, like a hippie way, but it's you know it's a Leonard Skinner, you know, like well, these are guys who went to Vietnam, yeah. not the hippies, right? <laughs> well, and, yeah. they, and they're well, back in, and they, you're right. You're right. How do you be anti-establishment in a different way? Than the hippies. Ironically, it's very similar in approach to the entire black exploitation method. It's giving it's the urban communities giving the middle finger to the man. It's just a totally different starting point, but it's the same action. Right. A lot of the heroes in these, like especially Smoking the Bandit. I mean, that that that, that's the the I guess the prime example of the hero is actually a criminal. He's and that's the guy we're rooting for. The bad guy is the sheriff. That's right. Although how Jackie Gleason could ever be the bad guy is beyond me. <laughs> he's Only a national treasure. But yeah, he does I, it so well. Oh my gosh, he does so great. Yeah, he's, you he's, some bitch. That's right. You know, he, he's not Ralph Cramden. He's not. And, no. and that says something about the talent of the man for sure. Yes, yeah, yeah, he's extremely and talented. It's a uniquely southern way of flipping the paradigm. Yes. Of the, you know the Robin Hoods type story. Here's the anti-establishment figure who is not the racist, who is not the uh, authoritarian figure. You flip it on its head, 
And the authoritarian figure who's supposed to be respectable, he's the one that's the racist. Yes. Mm-hmm. And... It speaks to some of the undercurrent of the South that's not so pleasant. And recognizing, I think, we're not all like that. In yes. fact, well, this is that's the stuff of, we want to get rid of. We want to keep certain things that are good, and that's not one of them. This so is a time of great change in the South as mm-hmm. well, when you think yes. about it. Because you know, you're talking about the decade after uh, the great push for the civil rights uh, laws to be changed, you know, for the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and then there's been a Civil Rights Act of practically every Congress has passed one because uh, mm-hmm. they got it, uh, whether there's any real teeth in it or not. Uh, but there's that. There's affirmative action going on. So culturally, things are changing in the South just because they're moving past, or trying to anyways, moving past that racist uh, historical past. Mm-hmm. And recognizing we don't have to completely strip ourselves of everything in order to do that. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of... We can have a unique... American cultural identity that is positive and it can come from the bottom up. It can right. percolate through the, the regular people. Right. We can be the ones who set aside this past. And they have to be. And realistically, yes. that's the only way that works. Mm-hmm. You can only legislate so far. Right. At some point, the, the, the man on the street has to set that stuff aside. I mean, I, and the culture that you express through things like this helps. Yeah. And, yeah, and I get that we're ascribing a lot of deep existential meaning to a movie that's about a guy driving a, a Firebird to Texarkana to get beer. Right. You know, with which a lot of people don't even get. Why is it such a big deal to bring a truckload of beer across state lines? Yes. But uh, back then it was. Yes, <laughs> Otterites, if you're a younger Otterite, at one time, the country was kind of divided. You can only get Coors west of the Mississippi, mm-hmm. and you can only get Budweiser east of the Mississippi. That's all changed now, sure. but uh, yeah, that was the idea. It's an anachronism to watch the movie today, because you're right. Unless you lived it, you don't what? Yeah, yeah. but yeah. It, it, it was you know watching it in the '80s. You know, it's like you know, or, or as a kid, you know, because you know, didn't really understand the whole beer thing as a kid watching it. But yeah. you know, it's like. I still don't get it. What's the, what's the big deal? You know, but yeah, you, you you're don't doing something we you're not supposed to. That experience, right. yeah. Well, I have family in Texas, ah. so I I got it because when we visited, Dad could have a Coors in Mesquite, Texas. There you go. Yeah, and he couldn't get them here. So uh, yeah, and so the, you got to drive to Texarkana and back with 400 cases of Coors, which was bootlegging mm-hmm. at the time. Right. So, um, but there was, yeah, it's just this moment of how to be a rebel in a different way, how to forge the New South, and then there's this hilarious movie, you know, Jerry Reed and a basset hound in the truck. Stick some grocery down my neck. (laughs) Kind of look like Fred to me. And then the intersection of this. New form of communication that's very personal, the CB radio. Yes. Which, if you don't remember that the 70s. That kicked off the craze. Oh, my yes. God. Yes. It was the CB radio was the thing. In yeah. the set. You, you went to Radio Shack and bought one and had somebody put it in your car. That's right. And everybody, it was just, a, you know, it was the thing. It was, it, was, it was just like two years, 77, 78, 79, maybe. Yeah. And it, it fizzled out very quickly. But there, that summer when Smoking the Bandit came out, you I mean, you had to have one. It was just a, a thing. Yeah. 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 Well, it was the only way to communicate. I mean, when you were on the road. And everybody, it, it was like a portable shortwave in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for those aficionados of that. But 
you know, in the days of cell phones, what's the point? Yeah. You know, other well, than the fact that it's a, it's a party line. It's Snapchat of the time. Yeah. I, you know, to put it in those those terms, yeah. Well, you know, it has, I mean, my lord, there was just, uh, there was music that came out of it. I mean, we remember C.W. McCall and Convoy. Oh, oh yeah. That, that was a that was a big country that, hit at the again, time. Again, another anti-establishment film. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Ali McGraw and Chris Christopherson. Which, based on the song, of all yeah. things, because yeah. it was... <laughs> it was so big, they made a movie out of it. That's right. Yeah, and you know, I think your, your point about uh, how to be a rebel in this new age, I think that's fascinating because... In a way, it was trying to, or at least it seems after the fact, trying to legitimize in a respectable way being not necessarily irresponsible, being that rebel, being uh, somebody who bucked the system, but not so much that you really, that there were a whole lot of consequences for it. It's almost like it was a safe way. It was. Yeah. Because, you know, Smokey didn't get caught. And they, they weren't running from a bank robbery like Bonnie well, and Clyde. Sorry, didn't get caught. Smokey was the, yeah. the police. Right. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's not Bonnie and Clyde. It's just, it's 400 cases of beer. We're just driving to a car race. Right. Yeah, because the whole point was to get the beer back there to Big and Little Enos before the Southern 500. And you don't get much more Southern than a, than a car race. Yeah, I mean. so it, it's NASCAR, it's beer drinking, and... and fast cars. And fast cars, it's... It's a perfect storm. Can of you size. tell that? I've, can you tell that I've watched Smokey and the Bandit way too often? It can is, you watch it way too often? That yeah. may be one of those movies where it's not possible to watch too yeah. often. It's just fun. It's always fun. Yeah, and that's one of the. It's one of the things about that movie that is so good. I mean, there's that that era had many great movies, but this is not Jaws. That is a very different movie that took the world mm-hmm. by storm. This is something that there was a, this blockbusters just started at this point. This was one of those blockbusters that changed everything. An intentional blockbuster. Exactly, because they didn't spend much money on the darn thing. No. I mean, it didn't cost I mean, much. Most of your cost was just getting everybody where you were filming. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, Burt Reynolds, maybe. That's, uh, but even that, he was not that huge yet. He was big, but... He was big, but he was... Well, this I mean, was probably his since biggest... Deliverance, he was... That, that was... You know, yeah. he, he had been a star. Oh, yeah. He was movies. able to carry a movie. Uh, oh, absolutely. Is, and that's true, but his star rose considerably after this one because he realized, oh my gosh, he made how much money in that movie? Uh, you know, this yeah. is... And that's why you have movies like Hooper and uh, Smoking the Bandit 2, which, let's be honest, guys... Stank like a steaming pile of you know what. Yeah, it's uh, pretty stinky. And it was because it was trying to capture on something that said, "Let's do this again, folks." I'm sorry they rushed it because the storyline about moving a circus elephant just didn't have the. Right. Didn't have I mean, it. Sometimes you just can't capture lightning in the bottle twice. That's right. It's just it's a different moment. It's a different era. And again, a lot of the pieces that made you feel about Smokey and the Bandit oh, I remember are going just to, gone. I remember going to see number two the weekend it came out and thinking, wow, I can't wait. I missed the first one. I've seen it on TV since then. Wow, this is going to be great. I'm going to be there. And they spend the first you know, 15 minutes putting the whole team back together. This is going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. I'm going to like Jerry Reed. I get to be the Bandit. Boom. And then you go, what? And about 10 minutes later, you go, that's it? <laughs> and then you leave the place like you've just been smacked with something and thinking, I paid how much for that? It's kind of like Caddyshack 2. It's like, just don't. Yeah, it, just it, don't. Just, yeah just some don't. things do not need a sequel. That's just right. Just on their leave own. it alone. Just leave it alone. Give it a miss, brothers. Yes, give it yeah. a miss. Yes, give it a miss. So again, some of these other, again, the car as this metaphor for what it means to be an American. The freedom, the driving. Um, but then there's also 
other things hanging over our head in this moment, the fallout from Vietnam, the fallout from Watergate, a search for meaning. Uh, That's right. As far as a country goes, we were trying to reestablish a national identity as mm-hmm. a people. Yeah, right. not just the South was. Right. right. And recognize, too, this is the same era as gas lines, energy crises, and Iranian crisis. This is right, you know, it might be a little oh, early yeah. for that. A little but bit right, before right. But the it's, hostage it's during crisis, that time, but, yes. Yeah. Right. But, but uh, it's, it's right. right after the, the, the first oil shock right. and right around the time of the second one. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, driving your car... Really fast, really using fast. up all that gas? gas. Yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, the death of the muscle car that meant so much to uh, the, the that late sixties uh, youth identity. Yeah, well, this these movies, especially something like Smokey and the Bandit, but a lot of these, you know, the, as I said, it's it's a way to to buck the system in a relatively safe way, but ultimately, it's about being an individual. You know, it's about. You, the person, as opposed to you know a cause or anything like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, it's, it's very escapist. In Trans that Am sense. was endemic of that. You know how many of those oh, yeah. damn things that were sold after that movie came out? <laughs> oh, yeah. That was, virginities were lost in one of those. Uh, yeah, a lot. I was, uh, was going to say because that was the thing. Because if you could afford one of those, you were somebody. It yeah. became a it was not only a, a status symbol but a sexual virility symbol too. Well, yeah. and then there was the poor man's Trans Am, which is the Firebird, which is essentially the same damn car. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't have the screaming chicken on the hood. That's right. But another one that's that's of this moment too that I remember seeing a long time ago uh, that's very affecting is a film called Vanishing Point. You spoke about that. We talked about it in show prep. And if you were to Google best car chases, it's right up there, top five every single right. time. I got to admit, to you folks, I've not seen it. Uh, it's very affecting. It. It's about a a man named Kowalski. With not a lot else known about him. Sounds like boys at the bottom of the sea. He's a veteran. He is a driver. He delivers cars. He picks up a muscle car in Denver and is supposed to deliver it to San Francisco. He decides to do it as fast as he possibly can. Uh, He's on amphetamines to do it. Oh. Uh, so the, of course, the more he takes of this, uh, you know, the more warped his perspective is. Um, Cleavon Little plays Super Soul, the DJ of a radio station who's trying to help him. Love Cleavon Little. And you know, we love Cleavon Little. Oh yeah, Little. loves Cleavon Little. And of course, it's very anti-establishment about the police, but unlike Smokey and the Bandit, it does not have a happy ending. Uh, he decides to drive the muscle car into a bulldozer uh, scoop, and 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 the movie's over. <laughs> and that's it. It explodes. It's like Thelma and Louise going off the uh, the cliff. Yeah. yeah, but it's a very affecting film. Um, you know, again that that flip side of the coin. You know that that duality mm-hmm. shows um, the f- flexibility and the versatility of the concept. Yeah, you don't have to be just a fun loving southern. Thing. You know, car chases can be all sorts of uses. So then, then, of course, you know, you go from there to all these great cable favorites of the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, post-apocalyptic car chases become fun. Oh, well, we got to talk about the Road Warrior. And I know you want to do your impersonation. You Let's might, give you the opportunity. My impersonation of, of Mel, uh, Mel, Mel Gibson. Gibson. Two days ago, I saw a vehicle at hold that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. That's right. 
Fantastic. Well, I think that deserves a toast. That's right. A good time for a bourbon break. Exactly. Yes, That's right. This is out for a bourbon. Very break. good, actually. Very, very good. I mean, you did that in the show prep. I'm thinking, okay, I'll, I'll sign on to that. That was one. much better. Than well, that he, time. he practiced it originally, and he had it. You know, we gave him the right tee up, so he was ready. A little bit more, uh, a little bit more Australian in that one. Yeah, that's okay. Two days ago. So, so what do you have, Francis? I am still, uh, I'm still sticking with the Heaven Hill bottled in bond. Uh, I poured last last time I had some. I poured a big old honkin's thing of it, and I just stayed with it. It's it's a it's a burn. I didn't you know I'm having it neat. It's I don't I hate the word harsh, but it's true. But that's not a bad thing. I don't want that to have a negative connotation. Full flavored, better. I want it more than even I like, that. I like to use the word burn better than harsh. Burn is uh, burn is probably but, as close as I can get to what I'm trying to say. You have to have gradations of burn to, mm-hmm. to really describe that. So intense. Intense is better. Intense is really good. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's getting Intense. closer to what I'm saying. Yeah. And what do you have, Robert? Uh, I am uh, like Francis. I am still finishing the uh, the 46. As, as listeners have probably figured out by now, we often mostly record multiple episodes at one time. Yeah, batch record. Yes. And so our last recording was so short, I didn't get a chance to finish that one. So I am still. Nursing the yeah. uh, Maker's 46. That's a peek behind the door, Otter. That's right. That's right. Uh, Here you can pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Yes, yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I I did uh, finish, because I didn't pour very much. Uh, I finished my Heaven Hill bottle. Yeah, you, you, you freshened up, did something different. And so I've got some of uh, Robert's Devil's Cut. Jim oh, good Devil's stuff. Cut. Yeah. Yes. So, again, the, a little bit more of the intense flavor. That's what I was going to go for if I had finished this. Yeah. So uh, I like that as a good change, you know. I tend it's to go with the, very the smoother, unique. Yeah, uh, it's, full-flavored stuff like the, the Woodford Double Oaked or the, the Four Roses. But I like that when I want a, a change. This is a yeah, very full-flavored. Uh, I've added some ice, so I'm, I've got water changing the flavor a bit. Uh, changing that intensity, changing that burn, but boy, that's good. It's yeah. good for a nice big uh, swallow here. That's right, and uh, you a know, little lubricity for talking about um, smoking the bandit. And for you know, those of you who are uh, distillers, if you would like to have us feature your bourbon on a bourbon break, uh, we are more than happy to do so. <laughs> you just need to contact us at our website, snakesandotters.com. Send any one of us an email, and we'll get things set up for a small financial remuneration. Yeah, there, there's a link to our Twitter uh, right there on uh, we're Snakes a, and We're Otters. a great spend. We really are. We yes. are. Yes. We are. Right. Yes. 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 Um, Bourbon and biscuits, man. That's us. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, Biscuit Belly, we love you. <laughs> That's right. And Can yes, we will enough? have more gravy. Yes, we Yes. Do. Would you like more gravy? Absolutely. Bring yes. it on. Here. But I have some more, please. That's yes. all right. So, um, yes, the Road Warrior, post-apocalyptic car chasing. Surely that's not the only film like that. I, but I'm drawing a blank here. Well, I, I know there's got to be others. Well, the whole Mad Max um, series, um, franchise, as it were, was all about that. I mean, It was all about vehicles, yeah. yeah well, it was, the chase was actually part of the thing. You know, that's, this one yeah. just happened to be probably the best one of that. Uh, they kind of went a little bit more... Now, when they did Fury Road uh, in, uh, I forget the year, but it's in the 2000s, uh, it was... The remake. The remake. The remake. It was very good, but it was very different, sort of. But they just took what they could do today. But it's still a car chase movie. It's still a chase movie. Uh, 
Mad Max, the original, was very, very different. It was motorcycles, and it was cheap, and it was Mel Gibson's first uh, movie. Uh, if you got the UK version, which you can get now, he's undubbed. They dubbed him in the United States because that Australian accent was pretty dang on thick <laughs> at the time. Uh, but the Road Warrior is still the one that stands out that most people remember of all those. That's It's just, it had something to it. I don't know, I think people think of the Mad Max one because I think it got uh, wider uh, viewing. Uh, you know the second one. That's what I'm talking about. The Road Warrior. Oh, okay. that's that is the that's second. right. That is the second one. Yeah, that, that's right, the I'm one sorry. that actually the other one was low budget. It was mostly Australian. This was the intention, and it, it it was kind of like a cult thing. And they said, well, let's do this again. And Gibson was not a huge star, but he was up and coming at the time. This, and you could argue that's the movie that made him a star because it got widespread yes distribution. Yeah. And people realized, oh crap, yeah, this is good. But it's another one that was released at that moment that's of right. it's cables. It, Penetrating. You're talking the household, the American yes. household. So you get it re and you got to fill in HBO. You got to fill in Showtime. Well, this is why you get you know Excalibur is so good because it comes out in '80 and we see it all over. It's Conan the Barbarian uh, and all that whole fantasy, yes. high yes. fantasy stuff. It's on uh, all, it's all, it's all, all the, time. the time. They realize, oh, we've got a market for this after the theaters, so we can actually make a life for this thing and build up some. Over time, some idea for our franchises, which right. is kind of what happened with the right. Which you know we've seen sequels, but right. it really had not taken off. Yet. Well, yeah. yeah, franchises. A franchise is really not. I mean, other than Bond, what else do you have at this point? Uh, Star Wars is beginning that. Right. That's and, and Star Wars didn't make it to cable for years. Yeah. So yeah. So as far this, as at this point, you know, you've probably got Empire. Uh, maybe even that depends on when you're talking about here. That really wasn't. No, Jedi was the '83, so right? Yeah, so they were done before you know Reagan's second term started. Right. So. so you know, there's, and even so, that was intended as a trilogy from the beginning. Well, from the not begin entirely from the beginning, but yes. And it was not necessarily a. I mean, franchise is something bigger than trilogy. You know, uh, it's a franchise now because I've done. Oh, exactly. You know, it's become that. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I guess you'd have to talk to Lucas and see what his thoughts were. You would know. Well, Robert more than I would. It was, when he first when he first made the Star Wars, which in a way you could you know you could argue Star Wars is a car chase movie. Well, there's plenty of it. That's <laughs> right. Because there's a lot of chasing around in vehicles. Well, I mean, um, uh, Lucas himself said he based much of that on the movie The Searchers with right. John Wayne, which is essentially one big chase the right. whole time. It's just with horses instead of cars. Right. So I mean, there's an there is an element that we like in our movies when you got the bad guys chasing the good guys. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that the is good, a theme. Or, or the good guys chasing the bad guys. Yeah. You know, either one works. Uh, but when he, not to, to get off on, on Lucas, but I mean, he didn't know if he could make the other movies. Absolutely. So yeah, that's, that's why he started with that one. Because as we all know, there's a prequel and then there's the sequels. Right. And, you know, that was a whole big thing. Nobody knew it would be as big as it was, I don't right. think. Uh, um, but, you know, there's, all, there's so many different things that because... I think, and you can look at it in movies, you can also look at television. You know, Dukes of Hazard is smoking the bandit on TV. Very much so. Yes. Yeah. And, and, that's, that, and that actually had a Because it's got all the same elements. Right. Fairly long life, which is kind of amazing because if you watch those now, you realize this is the same story every, every week. <laughs> and it, uh, it, they, they were catching it because people wanted it, but it should never have lasted as long as it, it did. Yeah. Well, I can tell you why it lasted that long. Is a bit of a one-trick pony. Uh, Daisy Duke. Yeah, Catherine Bach. Yes. Well, it, there's 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 a reason short so, shorts are called Daisy Duke. There's no yeah. doubt in my mind that uh, she is a generously beautiful lady, uh, and still is actually. Uh, even these many years yes. later, if you if you catch a picture of her, you can see yes, yeah, she's just one of those classic beauties. 
But you know, <sighs> but anyway, it, it's a lot of the same. The same theme tends to show up in a lot of these, and, and really, it's the same theme that we've talked about. You know, uh, we talk about a lot of stories, and it's that hero's journey thing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, sometimes the hero, like with Mad Max, he's the reluctant hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He was he was that. That's a very common theme throughout a lot of these cards. Is that reluctant hero uh, again? Vanishing point uh-huh. being someone people are glomming onto because they're listening to Super Soul direct him to avoid the police. Right. So they're becoming emotionally invested in his journey, even though he's an anti-hero. Yeah, even though it ends yeah. in destruction. Mm-hmm. Right now, not all of them are hero's journey kind of things. So like. Smoking the Bandit is not a hero's journey story. No, no. By any stretch of the imagination. No. Because, uh, I mean, let's face it, he's an idiot. He's a jerk. <laughs> you know, he's not the kind of guy you want your daughter to hang out with, right? That's correct. Uh, yeah. You might want to hang out with him, <laughs> but. Have you a beer with him? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's got 400 cases of Coors. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, let's have some. Um, but, you know, it's there's a lot of that, especially when you're, you're looking at the reluctant uh, uh, hero or the reluct- or the, uh, the anti hero. Uh, striving against the uh, some injustice, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of that in a lot of these. Uh, so uh, I think that's what ultimately makes them appealing uh, as a, in a for a broad audience. Uh, it, it where they really take off is when they I think uh, either have that unique twist to it, uh, you know, like uh, like Fred. Mm-hmm. I think Fred, you know, Fred is what made that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but you know, when there's some unique twist to it, uh, or when there's uh, some particular cultural aspect, they can. I'm glad you hit. mentioned that because that's true in many respects. Robin Hood is the, is very much what we're talking about here. Yeah, this yeah. is the guy that's out with and for the common man, and that resonates. That's always going to resonate with oh, regular people. Not smoking the bandit because the bandit was actually doing it for uh, what you could essentially say is corporate interests. Yes, but he was he he was an everyman. He was an everyman. That's right. He was he was not only the guy that you could see yourself having a beer with, but he's the guy you also wanted to be. Yes. So he has that both. Yes. He's he's the hero as well as uh, the the change bringer about of things, Uh, fighting against injustice. So you know, there's injustice is very loosely defined there. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, in his in his mind. Yeah. Uh, You know, vanishing point the same way. It's a very loosely defined injustice there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah I, I just I find this fascinating as a a statement on where the South is at that moment. Again, it's you're only ten years removed from digging dead civil rights workers out of an earthen dam in Mississippi, but Bandit isn't portrayed that way. Yeah, he's the hero in a new South. Who isn't a racist, mm-hmm. and this again, this idea of searching for an identity, a reinvention, a reinvention of the South at this moment. And again, like Reynolds says, these films are predominantly made for Southerners. You know, Leonard Skinner. Recording music for Southern Southern rock, the whole thing. But it sad. but it blossoms beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it turns into something really big that uh, goes that speaks to people across the country. Uh, well, I think in, a in lot a of what was going sense. on in the South, even though it was made for Southerners, maybe it was so much more acute for the South because 
it was the flashpoint for the Southern or for the Civil Rights uh, Movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but much of the country was still going through the same thing, yeah. coming to grips with uh, having to change mm-hmm. and seeing everybody as people, you know, real people, not just you know, yes. other mm-hmm. yes. them. Then, then, yeah. oh, uh, that's, yes, yes, very you know, much. That's the yeah. Then. So I think that's why some of these things, especially when you see, because um, again, in most of these, like I said, it's a way to kind of safely, because yeah. you're watching, you're not actually the one doing it, but you know, you can vicariously be that rebel by sympathizing with whoever yeah. the antihero is. Um, but I don't know. I, I think for the rest of the country, that's what uh, yeah. is. It, I guess hard to articulate properly here, which is I know it's very unusual for me because <laughs> uh, I can I go sure, on and I on. Think you're right. I am stunned, right. sir. They, living vicariously through the bandit is a huge part of the appeal of this film, right? Because who wouldn't want to drive a Trans Am with a cute girl right. to Texarkana and back and back uh, and. And, you know, that's another thing, that another Hollywood firm was you transporting, uh, well, she wasn't a minor, but transporting her across state lines and back. You know, there was a time when that would have been a federal <laughs> Well, that, Yeah, that's what Buford T. Justice wants to charge him with. Right. It's the Man Act. Exactly. I don't think he's got a permission. That's the Man Act. So, you know, but that living vicariously, <laughs> the reason that why that, that's why it took off, these kinds of things took off, is because... You know, again, you're coming off the 60s. You're coming off the, the crap decade that was the 70s. Or you're in the middle you're of You're in the middle of, yeah. yeah. And there was not, you know, you there wasn't a whole lot of hope and, and, and happy stuff going on yeah. in the 70s. The middle of the malaise. Yeah. Right. And, and here's a guy having a ball. Exactly. Doing stuff you and only people, wished you That's could. right. And people picked up on that. Yeah. yeah. Because oh, otherwise, you know, the 70s yeah. was kind of crappy. I'm glad you brought that up because that's, in many yeah. respects, there's the appeal, folks. Yeah. Yeah. It's because I, the Robert's 70s exactly is pretty crappy. Right. And, you know. I mean, uh, other than a few cultural high points, yeah. Bicentennial was kind of cool. Bicentennial was cool. But that, that uh, was Because, you know, it's quick. a great moment of patriotism in the middle of this when, at a time, patriotism was not cool. That's correct. Yeah. Um, you know, you had uh, Star Wars on that. Yeah. changed the, you know, oh yeah, we could, fantasy could be good again. Sci-fi could be good again. But it took time for all this stuff to, to work its way back into uh, the essence of the culture. We had to be ready for it. Yeah. We had to I be mean, ready for it. We it had sparked to... it and you start to see things change as far as we entertainment were goes. for it too. That was part but of it too. We were still looking for somebody to look up to and, to, you know, wanted to be because there just wasn't a whole lot of that. We don't ever run out of the need for heroes. No, never. But we might oh. think we do. Oh, we, yeah, I think a lot of time we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's and, very right, Francis. That's, that's very that's, right. That's we, exactly. we we think we're beyond uh, the need for heroes, but we we never really are. Right. Too often, and this is I think one of the problems that a lot of entertainment has today is your heroes have to be flawed. Sometimes flawed deeply. I think that's a pro- fallacy. I well, it's it's more realistic, but get it. that's not your heroes shouldn't have to be realistic for you to have them as a hero, and so just to illustrate this, this is getting off the car chase thing, but I think it illustrates the hero thing. So Falcon and Winter Soldier is ongoing in yeah, uh, and by the time this airs, it will be done right. So yeah. there should be no spoilers for anybody. In last night's episode, uh, they're talking about. Uh, those who get the super soldier serum, because that's part of the plot is that they've managed to recreate it 
and they're and bad guys have gotten it basically. Mm. Okay, and Baron Zemo, uh, Daniel Brühl's character, who's an excellent actor by the way. Yeah, uh, I know. It's, it, love him. I was hoping he's he in the Alienist as the as the the psych is what a psychologist was. Right. A psychiatrist it was an Alienist. Um, anyways, he says that. Uh, those who are who are super soldiers always corrupt, and they point out Steve didn't. It's Greg. It's like, granted, but he's the exception because he and I. That's why I always go back to him. He's the epitome of hero. Mm-hmm. His flaw, his only flaw, in my opinion, is that he doesn't until the last movie doesn't get anything for him, and that's not his flaw. It's a flaw in the story. Mm-hmm. But often, it's because he's a tragic hero in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yes. But that's often the problem with the tragic hero. They don't get anything for him uh, or her. Yeah. But in the end, he does get his yeah. life. It, it pr- proves Erskine's theory as to choosing the right person. Yes, yes. Which is, you know, bringing it full circle back. You yeah. Know, a weak man knows the value of strength, the value of power. One of my favorite lines in that first movie. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, it, and it nails it. Exactly. That's why he is a hero. It is not the super soldier serum that makes a hero. It's the man He's inside. the hero before he ever takes it. That's right. You're just um, giving the means of actually realizing it in a, ma- in a meaningful manner. Yeah. Now, and all these heroes in the, we're talking about the anti-heroes in the 70s uh, car chase movies and, and other places we've talked about, almost nobody is a hero like Captain America. I mean, he's unique in that respect. Maybe that's what makes him stand out. Maybe he's the hero's hero. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but, you know, in a way, that's what makes all these other heroes we talk about in these movies yeah, I, stand out. And not right. stand out, but what makes them, I don't want to say different, because they're, they're different from him anyways. Uh, maybe you could say makes them tragic in their own ways, makes them anti-heroes in their own ways, whatever. But, um, and maybe because people know they can't be Cap, they'd rather go down this road because they'd be a little bit of a rebel and still a hero at the same time. They could be the bandit. You could be the yes. bandit. Yeah, anybody yeah. can be the bandit. Anybody can be the bandit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... The... Uh, to me, the, 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 the centerpiece of Winter Soldier is at the end, and Fury is looking at Sam. He says, what about you, Wilson? And he says, I just do what he does, only slower. There's just no question about following Steve. Right. Mm-hmm. You you just know this I can follow him and everything's going to work. Bandit's kind of the same way. I can follow Bandit, everything's gonna be alright. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I just I just love that we took this film uh and car chases in general, car chase films, and turned it into this analysis of the zeitgeist of America in the nineteen seventies. Because there is no more seventies movie than Smokey and the Bandit, right? Oh yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You're exactly right. It, it it is that moment of it's a good reflection. How, how do we recover and find ourselves after Watergate, after Vietnam, after Dr. King is killed, after Robert Kennedy is killed? Well, here's what we can do: we can get in a really fast car, we can drive to Texarkana and get some beer because we're Americans, and that's what Americans do. As, yeah, My God. America. So. All right. Well, that's pretty good, dudes. That's pretty good. I, I love this episode. Um, I know there's there's nothing left to, to tell the Otterites to do or anything, because every Otterite has probably seen Smokey and the Bandit. 
but I do recommend seeing it uncut. Yes. Forget about the TBS version and all that. Get the real thing, the raw, uncut, Jackie Gleason, really saying all the things that he said, uh, version of Smokey and the Bandit. You'll love it. Uh, a credit to Hal Needham, the director, who's an old stuntman uh, directing it. And, of course, Reynolds, Burt Reynolds, you know, it, it revolves around him. He, yeah, yeah, he, he pulled it off. He made it. Not just oh, that laugh? Yeah. Not, it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Not Burt everybody Reynolds could have laugh done that. is just yeah. awesome. Yeah. That movie alone for his laugh is good. Yeah, so I, I don't recall who wrote it, but I'm sure basically... Burt Reynolds wrote it, uh, essentially. (laughs) He brought it to life, sir. Yeah, his ideas. So uh, it's a fun movie. So Francis, buddy, what is next? We're going back to history. We go back to World War II. It's June. So what do you think we're going to talk about? Yes. We're going to talk about Christmas and the Solomons. No, we're talking about D-Day, of course. (laughs) Yeah, 1944, June 6th. Operation Overlord. Operation Overlord. Yeah, it it was one of those big moments. There's yeah. so much to talk about. I had a great uncle who was in the invasion second day. He's told me stories. I can maybe relate a few of them. We all That'd have lots of. We have some of this. Uh, it's become such a huge thing for us. And I'm not just talking about Saving Private Ryan, although that's not a bad one. I prefer The Longest Day myself. Correct. And I know that yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that because movies reflect a lot of this stuff. But we're going to try and get underneath just a little bit. Just see what exactly was it? Why was it so important? How it almost didn't happen and almost didn't succeed. Because it really was a near-run thing, as Wellington would have said. Uh, And we're going to explore that deeply and wonderfully next episode. Be here. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week, same snake time, same otter channel.